If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. We've mentioned a couple of times about the week this past week. <clears throat> it is true that Brother Bob preached on Revelation 20 Wednesday night and did a magnificent job unpacking that text for us. It's equally true that uh, late uh, uh, 2022, we started working our way through preaching through this book of the Revelation. And we've taken a couple of breaks. Most recently, just before Thanksgiving, we took a break for Christmas, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and for our revival. And now we're going to pick it back up. And for the next four or five weeks, we will finish this series called The Unveiling, the Book of the Revelation. Now, to get us back up to speed on this, if I could have your attention just for a few minutes, is that uh, um, let me kind of catch us up on the book of the Revelation. Most of us know it from Sunday school. As Brother Bob mentioned, Revelation 1, we find John on the Isle of Patmos. There's only reason he, one reason he's out on the Isle of Patmos all alone, and that's because he wouldn't keep his mouth shut about Jesus. He just kept telling them. They said, you can't do that. He said, just I can't shut up. And so they put him out on the island by himself. Now, we can all feel sorry for him. Or we may can look at this from a larger view and see that maybe God put John on the Isle of Patmos so he could be in isolation, so he could be alone, so that he could focus on the words of Jesus because he had a big job ahead of him to write down every word that Jesus spoke to him so that we could know. Chapter 1. As John was on that island, do you remember what happened? Jesus appeared to him in a glorified form. Now, you need to remember that this is John who leaned on Jesus' shoulder at the upper room. This is John that's called John the Beloved, the Beloved Disciple. And yet, when Jesus showed himself on the Isle of Patmos to John, it was such a stunning, a stunning picture that John fell down before him. He was glorified. Now, John had seen him glorified before on the Mount of Transfiguration, but not like this. Can you get that picture with with the hair and the eyes and the feet and the sword out of his mouth? It took John so much by surprise, if you remind. Brother Bob said he fainted. That could be true, but I will just tell you, everybody who comes face to face with with Jehovah God in the Bible falls on their face and worships. Jesus put his hand on him, picked him up, and said, Look, i got a job for you to do. Don't be afraid. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down everything I'm going to say. And I want you to write about the things that have been, the things that are, and the things that will be. And I will tell you. You don't have to remember. I will tell you. And so then in chapters 2 and 3, he writes seven letters. Do you remember those letters? Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, Pergamum, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And we read the content, the text of those letters here in the message that God, that Jesus himself was trying to get to those churches so that they would get back on board with his kingdom. And I'll just pause as an aside to say that a year ago when we talked about those churches, we came face to face with this question. If Jesus were going to write us a letter as a church, what would he say? Would he talk about us leaving our first love? Would he talk about us enduring false theology? Would he talk talk to us about thinking that we're rich when we're really poor? 
Would he talk about being lukewarm? Would he talk about us having a reputation of being alive when we're dead? What would he say to us? And then at the end of the, he gets talking to the church, end of that church age, he gives the greatest invitation that mankind has known and read in the Bible. This is what he said. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I'll come in and sit with him, with he, with me. And for years, we have said that's a great picture of salvation, that Jesus is standing at your heart door and knocking. Wednesday night, we saw several folks open that door and Jesus came in and saved them. There may be some folks here in this room today, and you know that if you were to die right now, you would not go to heaven. You know that you would die and you would go to that other place, that place that we call, that the Bible calls hell. And Jesus is standing there knocking. Certainly that's a picture. And if you've never invited Jesus into your life before this service is over today, I pray that you will. But then, in context of the scripture, you know what it appears like? It appears like during the church age when Jesus was writing these seven churches, that the church has shut Jesus out of the door. And so he stands at the door of the church, trying to get back into the church he died for, he started, he loves. Talk about a door. Chapter 4 picks up with him opening a door into heaven. The door opened into heaven, and they said to John, come up here. That's a great picture of the rapture. When, the church, when Jesus appears in the cloud to rapture his church away, come up here. And he found himself in the throne room. And in the throne room he saw a lot of things, but I'll tell you what jumps out at me. He saw the Father on the throne holding a scroll, that's, which is the, the deed of, title deed of earth with seven seals. And then around the throne he saw the, the Holy Spirit. And then, oh, by the way, who shows up? None other but the Lamb. Jesus. Jesus takes the throne. Now watch this. Rapid fire. He begins to open the seals. And with each seal that was opened, there was a judgment meted out on earth. With that seventh seal came seven trumpets. And we saw the seven angels sound the seven trumpets. And with that seventh trumpet, with that seventh trumpet being sounded, there were seven vials that were dumped out on the earth. God's judgment on the earth. The final one being the the big judgment. But you know what's interesting to me with all the judgment that we find in Revelation? Is that at, at points along the way, God takes a break in his judgment. Do you know why? Young people, do you know why? Because he's still trying to operate in mercy rather than judgment. He's still giving people a chance to come to him. He has put off his second coming today so that anybody in this room that needs to come and do business with him can today. We get to chapters 17 and 18, and God deals with the final earth problem. For all of our lives, we've called it Babylon. It's the false, it's the fake. In one chapter, he deals with religious Babylon, the one world church. Now, you may think, man, I can't wait till we get to a one world church. Well, I'm going to tell you, when we get to a one world church, we have gone the wrong direction. And then there's the political Babylon, that one world government by the beast and the prophet and Satan. And so, chapter 17 and 18, now he has done 
all those things. He has judged all those people. And so now we come to chapter 19. If you will, if you can and will, would you stand to honor the reading of God's Word? It's 20, 21 verses, so if you don't feel like you can stand for the entire thing, feel free to remain seated. Listen and follow along. This is God's Word as dictated by Jesus to John. John writes, after this, now after what? That's after God just defeated religious and political Babylon. After this, I heard something like the loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because His judgments are true and righteous because He has judged the notorious prostitute, that was Babylon, who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his servants that was on her hands. A second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke ascends forever and ever. Then the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who is seated on the throne And they were saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all His servants and the ones who fear Him, both great, both small and great. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give Him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the, time, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he, that is an angel who is talking to John, then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those invited to the marriage feast or marriage supper of the Lamb. He also said to me, These words of God are true. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. We'll say that again. Worship God. Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heavens open, and there was a white horse. His rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war. With justice, for his eyes were like fiery flames, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses and Wearing pure white linen, a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the wine presses of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. 
And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he called out in a loud voice, saying to all the birds flying overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of military uh, commanders, the flesh of the mighty, the flesh of horses and of their riders, and the flesh of everyone, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and the armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. But the beast was taken prisoner, and along with it the false prophet, who had performed the signs in its presence. He decided those who accept excuse me, he deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image with the signs. Both of them were thrown alive into the fire, lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds ate their fill of their flesh. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, You have been so good to us, and we thank you for who you are, that you're the one that sits on the throne, that you're the one that loves us, that you're the one that speaks life into us and through us. I pray that today, I pray that you will remind us of who you are, and I pray that as you open our eyes and ears and mouth and spirit and soul, I pray that you will find a resting place for your word and your Holy Spirit. If someone doesn't know you, may today be the day that they come and invite you into their life. If there's someone here that's kind of elbowed you to the side of their life, I pray that today that, that you will make yourself known to them and that they will change their direction and bring you back to put you on the throne again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. In the early 1970s, a man named James Robinson came to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and did a, an area-wide crusade. I remember it as good as it was yesterday because I didn't understand until I started preaching why when he got through preaching in that night air, he always put on a big overcoat. Now I do because when you get through in the pulpit, you're normally wet with sweat. I remember his messages. I remember how powerful they were. I, I remember people moving. But this is what I remember, Eric. That was the first time in my young life that I had had the opportunity to sing in a mass choir. Boy, it was wonderful. And we saw many people come down the aisle of the stadium in Hattiesburg. But we learned a new song that week for the invitation. As I recall, Dot Harrison wrote it. Hear the words. What about you? What will you tell the Lord when you stand before him on that day? What about you? Will your life be in full accord? Don't put off the words your heart must say. And today I want to ask you from this text, I want to ask you that question. 
What about you? What about you? When I look at this text, I'll tell you I've preached here four or five times. Preached through this text four or five times. And I've always um, called this the glorious day because the first ten verses, it divides naturally. The first ten verses are the glorious assembly. The last eleven verses are the glorious appearing. But because I wanted it to be more about us today... I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about the recognition and the revelation. So let's just get to that. Let me just ask. Let me talk first of all about the recognition of our Lord. The recognition of our Lord. And some of you will say, "Well, brother Jerry, why do, why do we have to recognize him? Is, is that really important? Is it important for us to recognize him?" Well, you know what. I believe it is. I believe there are several reasons, and I, and I could just stop and enumerate them. But let me just start here for me. I think it's important for us to recognize who God is because they did. Because they did. They knew who He was. He was, he was the one on the throne. He, he was the one that deserved praise and honor and glory. He was the one to whom their attention is given. And I share with you today... That, that we better take our cue from them. I want you to think about who he is. and uh, he, he's, such a, he's such a God that in heaven, now think about that, in heaven, you pray our kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If his kingdom is coming to earth and his will be done on earth, we should praise just like we do in heaven. We should recognize him when we see him. I want you to see some things about this. Recognition, and I ask, what about you? First of all, see the people who recognize who recognized him. See the people who are in heaven. See the people who are literally singing his praise. It says in the Bible, it says it was. Look in verse one. It says, "I heard something like the loud voice." <laughs> that is a shout. That is a roar. That is a great shout. Of a vast multitude, this is a great multitude, it's many people, they are all together and they are singing and saying and they're praising. Jesus takes center stage and they erupt. Now you know what it reminds me of? Let me pick up my girls down here. You know what it reminds me of, girls? Picture this. It's football season. It's Friday night. Or it could be Sunday night at Super Bowl. Excuse me. It doesn't matter. The stadium is full. Where the players are coming out. The cheerleaders. That's why I was picking on our girls. The cheerleaders and supporters are down there forming a funnel, a tunnel, so the guys can come out. And then the announcer says, welcome our team. And the whole place erupts. Am I close to right? That's what this is. You announce Jesus is coming in, 
And all of heaven, read it, it says, Hallelujah, Amen to the one who it was, is, and is to come. He, he says, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because His judgments are true. You want a reason that we should recognize Him? It's because of who He is. It's because of what He's done. It's because of what He wants to do. Now, some of you are going to say, Brother Jerry, and I don't use another ball uh, illustration because, you know, we're not supposed to get excited in here. And our, our, the, the big one will be, Brother Jerry, we don't want to get out of control. Okay, I'm with you. We're not going to get out of control. Can I just tell you, we're a long way from out of control. We, we can cheer, we can jump. Some of you will be glued to your TV tonight. I know our, our young people are having, having a get-together party. Nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing, folks. When are we going to be as excited about what Jesus did for us as we are what our ball team does on the field? You see, we need to recognize Him for who He is. These people, by the way, do you read it? Now, you got the same copy of God's Word I got. Maybe you got a different version. But they didn't stop with one time because their pe- the people turned it into such praise. They praised him in verses 1 and 2, and they didn't get enough. So look at verse 3. They did it again. This is like your cheerleaders. They can't shut up. I'm sorry, girls. But that's their job. Do you know that's our job? To cheer the one who saved us from sin, to save us from death and hell. You see, once what it is enough, so they did it a second time in verse 3. Now look down in verse 6. They did it a third time. It's like cheering for him does not ever go away. So I ask the question, what about you? Do you get excited when you get to spend time with God's people in God's presence, hearing God's word, singing God's music. You see, the, the truth is, is that the people came and shouted and they gave praise to God. May I just offer this? Is that they did their best to show the God that they loved, that they loved him. Honey, do you love me? Oh, yeah. All right. My wife's favorite story for many years. Some of you have heard it. Man and woman got married. And uh, husband looked at her on the honeymoon and said, Baby, you know I love you? She goes, Oh, I do, sweetie. He said, Well, let's don't hear anything else about it then. So for all the years that they were married, they never told each other they loved each other. Now the kids had come, gone, grown, out. And they're sitting on their front porch in dual rocking chairs, rocking. And the man looks over at his wife and says, thinks to himself, she's been so good to me for all these years. Man, I, just, I, need to, I need to express to her what I've not expressed. And he looked over there and he said, Mom? I sure am proud of you. Now, Mom, it's like most of us, she got hard of hearing. And she goes, hey, Paul, what'd you say? 
I sure am proud of you. I'm tired of you too, Paul. <laughs> you see, the truth is, when we don't express ourselves, we hear things that, we, that, that are really not true. We should express ourselves. Folks, do you praise God with all you are? Will you praise God with all you are? If you do, listen, teenagers, you're the ones that can, can light this fire. When we praise God with all that we are, it's catching. It's catching. We were in Biloxi, had a man to join the congregation. He was, boy, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Name was Mike. And when he came to the service, he came with amen and hallelujah. He came, bless the Lord. I mean, I'm just telling you, and he changed the nature of that congregation. Not because it wasn't, it wasn't his intent to change it, but he did. All of a sudden, people were ready to raise their hands. They were ready to raise their voices. They were ready to give their lives because of what they saw in him. The song of heaven was amen and hallelujah. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. Amen means literally I agree. So let it be. Those the people there were the saints who had been saved by the blood of Jesus. The, the people there, the persons there were the rest of heaven's host. And they all got on board with the praise of the one because they recognized who he was. People in their praise. But I want you to see one last thing before... I move from this point. I want you to see the pinnacle of their praise. What was the pinnacle of their praise? Well, there's probably several things here that we could point to. But there are two pictures that I want to bring to your attention. If you look in verse 4, the 24 elders and the four living creatures, watch this, they fell down and worshipped. Fell down and worshipped. Because we live in a democracy, we don't know what it is to fall down before a king. Because we live in a democracy, we feel like that we are self-made. Because we live in a democracy, we don't understand living in somebody else's kingdom. And I'm just going to share this with you. If you hate me for it, sorry. We live in God's kingdom. We live under the rule of a king. And the very least we could do would be bow before him like they did. The guy further on in the book tells, in the chapter tells us, don't worship me. Worship God. Some of you go, Brother Jerry, you know, you know, it's not our way. Well, yeah, you're right. Okay, Jimmy Thomas, I'm going to do what you told me not to do. That means we may have to change. Jimmy told me not to use such an ugly word like uh, Bob used this week. Change. You see, the truth is, you say, well, well, can I find that in the Bible where they fell down? Well, I just read it to you, but not just there. I dare say that at the burning bush. Not only, I think when, G, when Moses took his shoes off, he probably knelt down. In Isaiah chapter 6, when he saw the Lord, I dare, it doesn't say bowed down, but he said he looked up to see the Lord. So obviously he was bowed down on the Mount of Transfiguration. When they were there and saw Jesus glorified, it says when they looked up, they were gone because they were on their faces. You know, just, just for me, let's just hit something. Brother Jerry, we don't do this. We're Baptist. 
We don't do much of anything except sit there. In fact, I know, I'm Baptist all my life. Baptist born, Baptist bred. One day when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. Here's our concept. The stiller, the more still that we can be and not move. The quieter that we can be. The less animated we can be, the more holier we are. Only one problem with that. You'll find it here. You'll find it in Baptist churches all over the world, but you don't find it here. In fact, I love what the little Chinese asked Francis Chan one time. He said, how do you get that out of this? This is our guidebook. The Bible is indeed our guidebook. And what does Jesus do when we respond to him by recognizing him and giving him praise and worship? Here's what he does. He gives you a supper. I wonder if he's Baptist and Southern. He didn't say the marriage dinner of the Lamb. He said the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, he gives us the best. Folks, when we recognize God in our lives, we will have no problem giving him worship. And as long as we don't recognize him as the God of our lives, we won't give him worship. Recognition of the Lord. The second thing I see here in the second 11 verses is the revelation of the Lord. This is the second coming. Back in chapter 4, we talked about the rapture. That's when Jesus appears in the clouds and takes us away. But this, this is the unveiling. That's what revelation means, the unveiling. Now watch. Watch here. Just, let, me, let me just pull out three or four things here. First of all, I want you to see his appearance. If you've got your Bible open, look at verse 11. Look at this. Then I saw the heavens open. Well, the heaven was already open. He was already in heaven. But he saw it open more. And there was a white horse. And I don't know what you like. I know some of you ride horses. I rode horses when I was, from the time I was born to the time I left home to go to college. And the white horse and the symbolism of this culture means a victor. It means one who goes off in victory. And then it's rider. The one on this right horse is faithful, is called faithful and true. And he judges and makes war. Then look at his eyes. This is the dead giveaway who this is. His eyes were like fiery flame. If you look back in chapter 1, you'll find Jesus. The, the, the Jesus the, that, that he saw was, had those eyes of fiery flame. Then he had many crowns because he's won everything that he's ever done. Then it says he had a name no one knows. And then he wore a robe dipped in blood. You see, he has been fighting for you and me since Calvary's cross. Oh, yeah, the war may be over, but there are battles all along the way. And as he brought judgment to mankind, now he's riding out to victory. The rapture of the church is past. The revelation of the church, the revelation of the Lord is present. Satan has, please listen, if Satan has his way, you know what will happen to you and me? We'll reject the Lord and we'll spend an eternity with him. His appearance is, is stately. It's about, it's a victory. Then you can see his armies. If you look down, look down in verse uh, uh, 14. His armies that were in heaven followed him on a white horse. You read it on down, you'll find that all of his armies will come together. And they're dressed in white linen and they have white horses. Now, why in the world would you put 
Brent, why would you put all these people in white? Here's why. It's because we don't have to fight. He's already done the fighting for us. He's got that sword coming from his mouth. That's his weapon. That's the word of God. All we get to do, instead of fighting for the victory, we fight from the victory. Because we've won. Then you look down. Let me just pause and Brother Bob mentioned this, and we'll mention it next week probably. When he's sitting on the great white throne and everybody flees from his face. Do y'all remember that? He talked about how hard that face must be for him to flee from the face. I want you to think about that. And I want to give you a reason why that face looks so bad on the great white throne judgment. Here's why. Have you ever, have you ever as a child left home and then came home and your mother, sorry ladies, and your mother was standing at the door and you knew from looking at her you had done something wrong. <laughs> All the kids down here said, yeah, we know about that, Brother Jerry. If you, don't, if you don't remember that in your life, it just means you're too old to remember it. You can look at, your, at the face of somebody and know whether they're happy for, with you or not. You see, at this point, his face is pleasing to those who love him. When he gets to the great white throne, the people who come before him, not so much. And when you read this down here, this is the hint of Armageddon. Now, we, I could go to seed on Armageddon, but his armies will be with him as he literally, read it in the Old Testament, in the Valley of Megiddo, he defeats all the people of the earth who are fighting with Satan. And the blood, it says, runs up to the bridle of the horse. Whew. So the announcement goes out. What does he announce? Is that that's, he says, birds, come to the valley. This is the Valley of Megiddo and have a great supper. This is God's supper for the animals. He he. He defeats all the evil, all the wickedness that is left. And you go, Brother Jerry, I don't think I even believe that. What are you saying? Well, let me just remind you that as far back as Genesis 6, he said, the Bible says that the Lord will not always strive with man. God always prefers to use grace and mercy and love and salvation. But make no mistake, this day is coming. Let me just end here pretty quickly. His accomplishment was, not only did he win the victory, but if you look in verse uh, number 20, the beast was taken prisoner. He captured the beast. And this is interesting. Along with it, not along with him as the beast, the beast is an it, gender neutral. He also called the false prophet. And in chapter 20, we'll see him catching Satan himself. When I began this message, I said one of the reasons that we should recognize who he is is because, recognize him because of who he is, what he's done. Even how personal he is to us. That's why we should recognize him. But there's one other reason. Because when we recognize him, 
we will respond to him. What is your response to the Lord? What is your response to the Lord? How good he is. There's a song that says, don't delay, come today. You see, God has given us this day He's given us this day that our hearts and our lives can be given to Him. Have you ever thought about it? I want you to think about Exodus chapter 3. Moses had been tossed to the alligators, crocodiles. He had been saved and raised in Pharaoh's house. He then committed a crime and went on the back side of the desert. That Pharaoh's house lasted about 40 years, and then the back side of the desert lasted 40 years, and then all of a sudden he sees a bush of fire. And it says he turned aside. I will now turn aside. So he was, it wasn't just over there. It was on the next mountain over. If you've ever been in the mountains, it looks like it's close and it's not. It takes you a while to get there. And he took time from his flock to go. And when he showed up at the burning bush, his life was changed forever because he recognized who was in the bush. Have you had a burning bush experience? When we read the Revelation, it tells us about the end of time. It tells us, I think it tells us things that the reason it's written in such code is that it's not for everybody. It's for God's people. Here is the destruction, finally, of evil. Next week we'll see about Satan being cast into the, the den. And, but the victor is the one on the white horse. That's who we need to recognize. That's who we give our lives to. And If you've ever come to your burning bush experience, I ask you this. Did you accept what he said? Or did you abandon it? Did you receive him and his words? Or did you reject it because you knew better? Did you embrace it? Or did you run away from it? The Lord Jesus calls us. He came, he lived, he died. He rose again. He ascended to heaven, and now he intercedes for you. And when you mess up, let me tell you what he does. He's sitting at the right hand of God, and he's going, Lord, I know Grady did this, but what he really meant to do in his heart is this. Lord, I know Mark did this, said this, but what he really meant to say in his heart is this. You see, God, Jesus is there interceding for you and me so that when the end comes, our response to the Lord will make us a part of his family forever and ever. Are you a part of that family? If time were to be drawn to close this minute, if I didn't even finish a sentence and Jesus appeared to rapture us away, would you be taken or would you be left? Let's pray together.